we were always like, we want the God factor in this story mm-hmm. um, because we wanted to be able to tell our son, look at what God did for you. Mm. Look at the mountains he moved for you. Um, he loves you so much. Little did we know that we would also need to go back to those moments because it's not always easy and it is challenging. It is a journey. It is an adventure and there's highs and lows in that. And there were times for me that I needed to go back and say, God, you did this. <laughs> you were plain in this. You made this very plain. And um, I, I needed that reassurance. Welcome back to the interview on the Y Millbank Podcast Network from Millbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. Our website is ymillbank.com. Ymillbank at gmail.com is our email address if you have any questions or comments. If you want to help support the show, go to ymillbank.com, click on the podcast button, and then find the donate button. We appreciate all the help and support we get as we continue on this conversation journey we're on. Today on the show, we have... Matthew and Sabrina Schlesinger from San Diego, California with us. Together, they pastor Grace Church in Oceanside, California, where their mission is to populate heaven and plunder hell. They're the hosts of two podcasts, Marriage on the Go and Parenting on the Go. Sabrina is also the founder of MomMentor.org and co-author of What Other Moms Never Told Me. Matthew and Sabrina Schlesinger, welcome to the show. I'm so pleased. I thought I was just getting one of you, but we got two today. So uh, two for the awesome. price of one. That's right. I don't know if that's good that you're both cheap or what. But <laughs> we are. We're pretty cheap. <laughs> we'll, we'll take it. You guys are the head pastors of Grace Church in San Diego, correct? That is correct. The promised land, glorious, wonderful Southern California. Okay. I, we'll, Minus all the other crap with California, it's beautiful. We'll get into that a little bit later because I'm <laughs> sure so. it's not quite as promised land as you make it out to be, but it is pretty it, down there, right? More giants in the promised land, right? <laughs> That's right. This is true. Um, right. I primarily I wanted to reach out because you guys have been very instrumental in uh, maybe changing some of the 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 perception by at least locally um, of some of these government overreaches you would in, in i think you guys would go down that mm-hmm. road uh re- revol- uh revolving around the pandemic response which that's how i kind of phrase it when i talk to people um i don't like the idea of just pandemic but the the impact it's had on people is due to the response that's been you know that that's come about yeah. from it and governments and you know around the world have responded to it in almost the same way and it's kind of fascinating to me looking at it from a, a conspiracy, not a theorist, but a therapist position. Um, <laughs> it's just it's interesting to look at things. So um, kind of walk me through just a little bit of, uh, we'll go back a little bit and how you guys got to San Diego. And then um, we'll get into some of that transition you've had to make and, and some of the, the positions you've had to hold um, that are uh, not popular, mm-hmm. maybe. So let's start with uh, how you guys got to San Diego. We've been in San Diego now for just over eight and a half years yeah. and pastored in Oregon where we actually got to hang out with the Weinberg family That's for right. a number of those years Bam. where it rains a lot. And <laughs> uh, long story short, we just felt the Lord leading us and calling us to transition from Oregon and 
ended up landing in San Diego, California, and took over a church within our organization called Grace Church. And it has been a thrill and the best eight years of our lives. Challenging, but it's been a blast. We love it here. This is our mission field. I grew up and we'd always send missionaries over to Africa and all these different nations in the world. And I think that's wonderful, but I just think, man, we, we need more now than ever some missionaries in America. I'm like, Hey, can we have some Africans come over to America and help us out? For sure. (laughs) And start in Southern California. Yeah. So we, we, we call this our mission field. We love it here. It's got its issues. We can talk about that, but, um, yeah, we've been, we got a great church that we've been able to pastor for eight years and, um, um, I think we're making a difference in our region and doing what we can to make Jesus famous and stand up for some truth. So, which is always popular. Well, that's a, a good point. One of the um, things I would love your perspective on uh, in the the traditional American church model, it seems like it is the the focus on missions is first and foremost on the other side of the world. And that's where we're supposed to spend all the money. That's where if you don't do that, then you are a failure uh, as a Christian almost. And it seems like it's super easy to do that and then absolutely forget about where where you live. Um, Do we have it backward in the American church model? Absolutely. In my opinion, yes. I think it's easier for people just to write a check towards missions. I think it's great. I think there's, I think God's blessed our nation so we can be a blessing to different nations. I think that's why, why we're so blessed. So I'm not against supporting financially, but I think it sure is easy for people to write a check mm-hmm. and then to forget about it and feel better about themselves. And- I think it's easy for people to go to a foreign land when, when they'll never cross the street and talk yeah, to their neighbor. Totally. Yeah, totally. Um, so we, we, I absolutely think that we have it backwards when it talks about going into all the nations, it actually starts with kind of the nucleus of what's around you, your city and your neighborhood first. And then that expanse moves out into all the nations. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, I agree. So you started the church. Um, what was the, like, it wasn't a plant, right? Like this is a church that existed already. Yeah. We were able to take over a small church of, um, maybe 150 people and uh, which we thought we were going to start in some high school cafeteria with nothing, but we we're able to, through our organization, we were really blessed and had some favor to step into a wonderful facility, a landmark location in North County, San Diego, uh, a wonderful uh, building and with a great group to start with. So it was, it was really a blessing and being able to see that grow over the last number of years. So it's been fun. What was back in, well, I guess I don't know exactly the dates when uh, your leader out there, the Governor Newsom, um, decided that the best option to respond to this unknown illness was to shut things down. Um, what happened there? How did that come about? And what, what was your original um, response to that? I think I'll let Sabrina speak here in a moment, but I think originally, I think everybody was, because there were so many unknowns and uncertainties, I think there was a lot of trust initially mm-hmm. from the majority of people. Uh, and I think, I think people out the gate felt like our governor was doing a good job at, at taking some leadership the first couple of weeks. 
And when nobody knew what was going on, everybody was really scared. There was mm -hmm. paranoia like I've never seen in my life. Yeah. Uh, and then I think once once we were a few weeks into it and this two week period turned into months <laughs> and people started questioning yeah. and mm -hmm. instead of instead of following common sense our governor was the first to become what i would say extreme in the lockdowns and overreach and it uh, leading the way in that whole arena and uh, from businesses being locked down to affecting churches and just the ridiculousness, in my opinion, of some of the stuff that has been detrimental. We've seen the their cure for this disease has been far worse, in my opinion, than the actual disease. Mm -hmm. California, we are still, it's, you know, we're over a year into this thing. And now we have an arbitrary date of June 15th that will be mask free which all of a sudden from june 14th to june 15th i guess something changes mm -hmm. even at that our governor is not lifting the emergency mandate so you know there there's there's all kinds of opinions on our governor out there but i you know obviously he's he's in a recall right now because whether you're republican or democrat i think people are if you're an american we're wired to not like overreach that's how our <laughs> our nation got <laughs> right. started right <laughs> because we were revolting mm -hmm. against the the tyranny of a government that would try to dictate uh everything from business to religion i think what i'm seeing in california that you know we're we're a liberal wing of the nation obviously and leading the way in many of the liberal crazy ideas out there but i'm seeing that if you're a business owner it doesn't really matter if you if you're Democrat or Republican, people are pissed that their businesses yeah. are shutting down and restaurants are getting hammered and just the the side effects of the so-called cure. When did you guys make the decision that uh, enough is enough? That you, as, as a church, because, you, I mean, I, I, I remember one of your uh, posts, it would have been probably in the fall, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, were you essentially came out and said the value that the health benefits spiritually of a church are equally as important to that of a hospital. Yeah. And so because of that, we are going to, we're open. You know, yeah. We're open. What was we, that? We, we shut down and, and closed the building and the doors of the church um, for the first two weeks when we were all asked to take two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then uh, President Trump came on and said, will you give us another 30 days? And we, out of honor, were like, okay, we'll, we will play the part. And because our president asked the whole country to do this, we'll do this. After that point, and when it start, started to become very clear that um, we we already at that point had an idea of what some of the survival rate was what we were actually starting to deal with. We may not have known every aspect of it, but we knew enough. Um, and we were also like hearing and seeing families and children and marriages starting to implode this, this spirit of fear that was running rampant. We just went at this point, it is, it is not loving for us to not be open mm. to not gather. So we did the online for, um, a few weeks. And then we're like, we're going to meet outside. 
we can have church. We didn't have to. Yeah, you live in the tropical paradise. (laughs) Right. Like, so we met outside for a few months and, and then it started getting a little warm and we just went, you know, we're going to do church the way we do church. We were fully prepared. So on Pentecost Sunday, um, last year of 2020, we opened up our doors again and moved back inside. And so we've been doing it inside for over a year. What was the uh, response? Did you get pushback at all from your local governments? No, in Oceanside locally, they were very supportive and we've got relationship with our civic leaders. Mm-hmm. So I, we didn't have any issues in Oceanside. There were a few businesses that opened up some gyms that got some national attention for being arrested for opening. But I was expecting, and we had a plan in place for if we did have the police show up or we any ready. type of pushback. I think we did get a little bit of pushback from people just for taking a stance uh, that we got a lot of what I would describe as hate mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everyone appreciated our stance, but more than that. <laughs> from, uh, we, were they just people in the community or were they yeah, uh, yeah. members? Just trolls. No, 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 not in our church. So it, when we opened back up, we were probably one of the only ones in our region that did that, one mm-hmm. of the first. So it certainly set us apart. I'm not sure everyone appreciated that. But <laughs> We actually joined in, in California. There were probably around 2000 plus pastors that decided on Pentecost Sunday, May 31st of 2020, that we're going to open our doors mm-hmm. and, and we're rallying to, uh, as the local churches of the region to stand together, to not dishonor our governor. I think that's where we've tried to be careful. It's not, you know, the Bible does speak about respecting our, our leaders and to submit to authority. But there is a line where we, we, we had to decide, okay, where, where's the line? Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to choose, where's the line that we're not going to bow right. when it starts to affect your worship? Mm-hmm. And you can trace throughout the scriptures, and you can even see throughout history where people had to defy authority when it crossed what God was asking us to do and asking us to be. And we just felt strongly that when when the governor started asking or not asking but demanding and dictating that we couldn't gather and we i mean even some crazy stuff like we couldn't sing like you can be in there but you can't have (laughs) instruments like we don't have flutes but some of it was like air instruments like flutes and and singing i think this is ridiculous because because one I, i i'm a i'm a constitutionalist i i really appreciate and value the constitution of the united states um which you know, the, the first amendment specifically mentions religious establishments mm-hmm. and, uh, excuse me, second amendment, excuse me, first amendment, excuse me. It's been a long time since I did. I like the second amendment too, by the way. <laughs> well, you got to have both um, of them. One, you can't have one without oh, the know, other. I, I think that as citizens gives us precedence that the government has no place to determine how we worship, when we worship or where we worship. That is not our governor's place nor our president's place. So so what do you say to the people? Because I've I've talked to several people around the country about this idea of uh, the government coming in and saying you can't gather in big groups across the board. Bars are shut down. Professional sports are shut down because it's a it's a group gathering. That's the problem. And that would extend into the church world as a group gathering. Uh, at some point, if the church can say, we're going to gather in groups because that's our religious model, um, 
is it different than a sport saying, well, we're going to get together because that's our business model? How does the, the gathering in a big group, um, how does it differ? Well, I think that's a great question. I think for us, we were looking at okay, what's entertainment and what's a necessity and what is mm-hmm. essential. And I think that that's where a lot of confusion happened is we have a governor and leaders that are determining what is essential and what's yeah. not. And so in our particular county of San Diego, as of last year, early into this pandemic, when everything was closed, strip clubs could be open, but churches had to be closed. Liquor stores could be open, but churches had to be closed. And so someone is deciphering what is essential and apparently going in to a strip club with a group. Yeah. And getting your marijuana (laughs) and, you know, and so I would drive around to Walmarts and targets and the parking lots were packed. Oh, all the big box stores are free to be open, but the mom and pop stores couldn't. So we just decided, okay, you know, there is. There, there was obviously, and I think even lawsuits are proving that now in California that are winning against Newsom from churches, that it was, there, there was, um, what's the word? There was not, not a prejudice necessarily towards churches, but it was biased mm-hmm. and um, unnecessary. So I, I believe the church is, I believe the church ought to be essential, uh, just like hospitals are open to heal and take care of the physical needs of people. Mm-hmm. We were seeing in this pandemic, uh, every every negative, every negative statistic was on the rise because of this pandemic and isolation. People with depression, suicide was just skyrocketing in California and probably everywhere. Marriage issues, all kinds of trauma emotionally. That that that's why the church is here to bring that kind of healing and help. And so. That's why we opened our doors, not just to gather in person, but to be like a hospital that could bring hope and healing to the people of our community that were, we were seeing were desperate, not from the, the side effects of COVID, but from side effects of isolation. The yeah. hospitals are governed by the government, and so they have some rules in place by the health authorities that, you know, yeah, they're essential from their position, from the government, they got to be there, but there are protocols you have to be in. There have to be in place. Would it be inappropriate for a government to come to a church and say you're equally as um, uh, valuable and necessary? However, here's the steps you have to take in order to do that. Just like we say to a hospital, I, I can respect that, that to a degree, and I think I think every church has that in our nation. You have fire codes you have to adhere to mm-hmm. that. I think a responsible church needs to be aware of and care about. Um, but when it starts to affect how we worship, uh, that's, that's where I had a problem with it. And there, the overreach of some, some of the, it was asinine of what they were asking and requiring and how it, there was no consistency from, from one place to another. And I think we're still seeing that, like you can, you know, you can sit down at a restaurant, but once you stand up and you. In some gyms have different rules. And right. it's like, yeah. COVID is a lot smarter than I thought, apparently. Well, and, so, it, and apparently it comes out after 10 p.m. Right? Yes. It's nocturnal. Kind of so, There's yeah. just no consistency mm-hmm. and common sense to this thing. And I think that's what people are getting sick of. I was in a drive through in uh, uh, the Dells, Oregon, back in February. McDonald's. My home of birth. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I thought of you guys. Um, and... On the speaker that you order your food at, there's a sign that says, due to government mandate, 
Your masks must be worn in the drive-thru. That's normal no. here. Yeah. yeah. And I and what I said, I had my oldest kid with me, and we're both like, are you kidding? And then you get to the window, and there's full plexiglass about all the way down to about six inches from the bottom. They have to l- almost dump your drink out to give it to you, yeah. to get it out. What's a mask in my car going to do for anything? Yeah, that's normal on the West Coast. I that's think ludicrous. From, from Washington, Oregon to California, there's there's some commonality with Minnesota the same way. Is mm-hmm. it? Yeah. yeah. And so we, we just decided when we opened our doors, we're not going to tell people how to take care of themselves. We want to be we want to take precautions. Mm-hmm. We weren't going to be careless because I care. No, nobody cares about the people in our community more than the pastors of our community, in my opinion. Our governor is going to come and go. The city officials, they're going to come and go. Those pastors like myself, we're going to be there for a long time. And so I care about our people. And we we, we took some simple precautions of, hey, if you're sick, please stay home. But it was common sense stuff. I mean, that's Uh, not a terrible thing to do always. I feel that way. I've been a germaphobe my whole life. So I felt that way before I knew what COVID was. Uh, So, you know, people would come in, do we need to wear a mask? I made my mind, I am never going to tell someone how to take care of their health. Mm -hmm. And you need to wear a mask or you don't. I'm not going to shame you. If you are pro mask, you wear double mask, triple mask, quadruple mask. I might judge you a little. (laughs) I'm I'm not. (laughs) Getting that far. <laughs> I'm not going to shame you, no, and I'm not going to shame you if you don't. But mm-hmm. we we saw the majority of people were relieved that there was at least one place that wasn't going to treat them like they were just uh, second rate almost. Yeah. yeah, like we had signs up for the first couple of weeks with the CDC recommendations: don't touch your eyes, you know, mm-hmm. keep your fingers out of your nose and your friend's nose, and just <laughs> stupid stuff. I'm thinking. It, I ripped them down after two weeks thinking, I'm not going to treat adults like they're kindergartners one more day. Yeah. Well, uh, how far? Yeah. What what their health needs to be handled. We have have a big military community over here, too. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we've got veterans who have gone and seen so much. They have survived Mm -hmm. wars. They have survived more things than we could even imagine. And um, for us to tell an 80-year-old what to do with a mask um, felt really disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we had people come into our church and say, do we have to wear a mask? Uh, We simply just said, you are an adult. You get to make that decision for yourself. Um, And and almost 99% of, especially our elderly, took their masks off with a big smile and said, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Because everywhere else, it's a mandate, right? Like you can't go in any other facility without one. You can. They have the masks up, but you can go in. You can do it. I I, I haven't worn a mask <laughs> in California for almost three months. Have you so ever been told? Uh... Braver than most. <laughs> so I just go in and I I see the signs. They ask me if I should wear if I have a mask. I said I do. I said it's not good for me to wear one. And they say, okay, and Get I out. move on. <laughs> no, they don't. Hmm. I think it's just this mindset and they're all up. It's mm-hmm. the intimidation factor. I think businesses are doing what they have needed to do to stay open. But I think at this point, especially in California, most places aren't enforcing it. However, I'm still almost the only one every time I go into a store that you can see my whole face. See, we were very lucky in our state and especially in our community. Um, we've had no... No mandates ever. Um, 
no n- not no restriction the 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 impact we saw on our business came from your governor Oregon's mm-hmm. governor Minnesota's governor and Michigan's governor yeah because what happened is that's where all of my production facilities reside well they shut those down i couldn't get product mm. Oregon shut down all the events i designed for and right. You know, and, and even a year, year and a half later, we're barely coming back with one of them. And so that that's what frustrated me as a business owner is, yeah, our governor did the right thing for, yes. for, for business without question, like li- relying on people's ability to make their own decisions and make the right one. Um, but that didn't matter because uh, a bunch of our business in the spring happens to come from other states mm-hmm. and our business in-house comes from products that we get in other states. So other governors' decisions had direct impact on everyone. And that's what I don't think anyone really factored in, was the direct impact, the the residual impact Mm -hmm. from all these decisions. And originally it was a, uh, it's for your own good. Take it, you know, stay home for your own good. That gets really tired when... The argument doesn't change, but the data continues to change. Exactly. So I, uh, I found issues. It's now, really frustrating. And honestly, we felt pretty, um, especially as a, a mom and as a wife and as a woman who wants to champion for my kids, for their school, for their mental health. It's been incredibly frustrating to be in a state that is continuing to do this overreach and feeling like my voice doesn't matter. Um, Going to the school board uh, meetings and realizing for the first time how very important who you elect as your school (laughs) School board, how big of a deal that is Mm -hmm. and and how much they don't actually care about what the parents are saying and what the students are saying. They're going to go with what the teachers union is saying and fear of man with what government is saying so that they don't get docked it's all, it all comes down to money. It all comes down to money. So um, it's been challenging and frustrating. And honestly, at this point, I've never, I've never been a homeschool mom. I, I've always been in public school. I support those that do. I'm just, I'm not gifted to um, teach my kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just not in my, my wheelhouse. Um, but for the first time, I'm pulling out uh almost all of my kids out of public school for the next year and putting them in an online private school um, because I'm refusing. And it's, I feel like it's, they have forced me to make this choice. I didn't want to, but our kids are still being forced to wear masks, even though all of the truth and all of the stats out there prove otherwise. Um, they're still being forced to wear masks and they're still being forced to not touch each other. Um, my son the other day said, yeah, I can't even like touch a friend on their shoulder with my, my finger. They can't play tag on the recess. That's what he said. They can't interact. Yeah. They can't interact with other classes outside of their own. It's just, it's so over the top ridiculous and who's paying the biggest price for it. Well, of course, business leaders and moms and dads who've like been suffering financially, but who's really paying the price at work. I'm wondering when are we going to see the residual effects of this on the next generation who've had to 
bear this unnecessary burden. Well, and something else that I don't think any of these leaders really thought through very well. Uh, I know in Minnesota, because our governor has been kind of hands off as far as us, uh, the the people. So I've just eyeballed Oregon and Minnesota have been my main uh, focuses just because I've got people in both those states. And so it's fascinating uh, to see what they're doing. And one of the things that I don't think anyone really planned, because you say that in the school, the kids are still required to wear masks. That presumes that the adults are as well, correct? So what they just did, like Minnesota is one of the biggest sex trafficking hubs. Minneapolis, St. Paul. It's horrible. Well, they made a reopening plan last, uh, well, it went into effect, I think, in January, February this year. And Governor Walls said that uh, we can do this, but everyone has to mask. You got to wear face shields and you know, you got to have all these covers on. So what they effectively just did, and I think in the same thing is in California, uh, Oregon, I believe is the same way, and probably all the states that are still mandating this. What yeah. they've done is they have just told the generation of children that are impressionable, that are vulnerable, that the people you're supposed to obey, trust, listen to, and go with you cannot identify them by their face. You must only, you don't know who they are. So now if someone's nefarious, all they have to do is appear in dress like a teacher. They can't show their face because they're not supposed to. And they can take anyone from that school. I don't think any political leader thought that through for a second. And it's terrifying. Well, And if they did, shame on them. Absolutely. Yeah. So Sabrina, you went... You, you became kind of vocal in the community about um, parks being closed, schools. <laughs> um, <laughs> talk about that. Because <laughs> didn't you go and maybe um, remove some barriers that were placed on parks? I sure did. And if it happened again, I would do it in a heartbeat. It's just, it, I was just so sick of our kids paying the price mm-hmm. over something that was ridiculous. We are outside. We are outside. We have had our kids in lockdown for months. And then you are going to even have the goal to have all of these paid for by our taxes, parks that our kids and our families, when we've said it's safe to be outside and out and about, that we can't even use that. Come on. So I did. I took scissors. I took scissors (laughs) to the playground. And as I got scissors out, because my kids were... Kids were still playing on it. And honestly, it was more dangerous because they've like all this netting that they were getting caught up in. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I went to my car, I got scissors, I came out and I started with all these other parents watching. And you know what they did? They started helping. That's awesome. And the kids <laughs> were so excited. Um, and I think it got put back up the next a couple of days after. And I was ready. I had a, a group of people ready to go and take them down again. Um, I like to think that I had something to do with it. I probably did not, <laughs> but but before our Saturday came where we were going to be like taking scissors to mm-hmm. all of the playgrounds in the North County, San Diego, Governor Newsom. Um, Became safe again. Yeah, it, playgrounds automatically got opened again. So they were, uh, they were arresting, you have to remember, it, it wasn't that long ago when this thing started, they were arresting people that were jogging on the beach. A surfer that was alone arresting? in the water. Arresting them. There's there's video of policemen chasing joggers down the beach and, and patrol boats 
going after it wasn't a kayak it was a paddleboard paddle in the border. middle of the in the ocean waves mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it just it, the craziness of how instantly that switched and we started heading towards a nanny state is pretty terrifying well are you surprised at how quickly the american population just laid down and said yeah. please tell yeah. me what to do yes it's it was surprising and honestly disappointing and still is it still is disappointing so i feel like and I don't know if it's just because media is overwhelming with it, but it does it does make you feel kind of like you're alone if you mm -hmm. if you see things differently and it feels like the majority have acquiesced to just the demands of what they're asking. If Fauci said stand on your head, stick two fingers in your nose, and you're gonna be better, people would be doing that right now. Yeah. It's Lord Fauci. And I I you know, I respect authority. I I told our church, we're gonna pray for these guys. We're going to pray for no, Biden. We we're, will honor authority. We will not necessarily respect them. There's a difference. Yeah, well, we're going to honor. We're going to honor Governor Newsom. But I said, you know, the Bible says we're supposed to pray for him, but we can pray for him, honor him, and recall him at the same time. That, he can still get prayed for in his private home. Yeah, we yeah, can pray fact, for, I'm praying that he will get recalled. That's one of my prayers. We right. can pray for Fauci and demand that he mm -hmm. is arrested at the same time. <laughs> So you know, you talk about someone get arresting on the getting arrested on the beach. Um, mm -hmm. From the beginning of this thing, when this thing first happened in March of 2020, when it first started coming out, I hurt my back, and so I was laying down for about a week. I had nothing else to do, so I was digging around all the black holes of the interweb, and you know, just seeing what's out there. And it's frustrating that the stuff coming out right now about where this thing came from. Uh, oh, we now know it's not on surfaces. We now know that it's, oh, the sun and wind is a good thing. This is information that was out there a year and a half ago. It and was. we had it all, but they wouldn't allow it. And that is outrageous. I, I don't know how, but someone needs to be held accountable criminally for yes. the responses that happened. And I don't know if that'll ever happen. Yeah, I'm not holding my breath. It's terrible. The amount of people that, that have died... Um, mm -hmm presumably should not be that much. Yeah, I think every governor of every state that's mishandled it ha needs to be accountable. I think yeah. every official like Fauci Health needs authority, to be yep. accountable. Yeah. Globally. All right, so a couple of years and ago- Locally you, nope. as well, I'll say, because even locals, local sheriff departments mm -hmm. have yeah. handled things differently in California. <clears throat> in, in San Diego County, it was handled completely different than Orange County. Orange County sheriffs said, listen, we're not going to enforce these we're not going to do this to our people. Where San Diego County, they hired the, the mayor here hired extra henchmen to go out and actually they got paid to go enforce uh, finding businesses that were staying open, like restaurants. Oh, yeah. Craig, you should check out Tin Horn Flats in Burbank, California, and see what the Burbank police officers are doing to that business. It will make it's your blood boil. Insane. Outrageous. Ten Horn Flats. Ten Horn Flats. It's Burbank, maddening. California. Talk about, I mean, and I love and honor so many police officers. I've got friends that are, but there's mm -hmm. a point where you have to stop. Well, our, and our, not obey yeah. the, the people that are in charge of them paying the bills and say enough is enough. The problem is they have guns. And and that well, becomes the difficult part. Yeah, the yeah. police. I think I think by and large, the police have been put in a very difficult and awkward situation because they have jobs and orders from their authorities, and they're in the middle of this being mm -hmm. told to enforce things. Mm -hmm. And so, I I feel for them. It's been a 
challenging year in many ways for our obviously with our police departments and sheriff departments but well you know it it is amazing how it's been handled so differently in different cities and different different counties Mm -hmm. based upon who's in charge and it's scary sometimes how it's been i mean we're seeing what's going on in canada that's a that's a really scary it's horrible yeah out of control nanny state right now and i pray that we don't follow suit yeah the concept of having to show your papers to be outside is kind of uh it seems like we've forgotten history perhaps unbelievable (laughs) it's unbelievable uh so so um going down that road then this this uh mandatory uh shot jab as they say over in the the europe the jab um is that something that's here to stay? Like, what do you think about that? I mean, you guys are, you, you're pastors. Is this a precursor to some sort of a mark? I think it could be. I don't know if it's a mark, but I do. You know, it seems to be our nation thrives on polarizing topics. Because mm. before it was the immunization, it was mass, still is mass. I mean, we argue about chicken sandwich. Is it? I don't know if this was there, but in California, which is a Chick-fil-A or Popeyes, Popeyes, it's like, are are we serious? And (laughs) it's like, let's, let's polarize everything. It's so divisive. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm just wondering what's next. What's after Mm -hmm. the immunization? Cause it's going to be something else that we just can't get along on and just separates people so drastically. You guys Uh, aren't, I mean, you're older than me, but not by a lot. Um, I don't remember at all in my lifetime ever this kind of push for uh, for a, for an approved vaccine, let alone a, one that's unapproved and is an emergency off. use. I mean, our governor is holding like giving millions of dollars away for people who are getting vaccinated. <laughs> yeah. He he had on his press conference just the other day. A, it looked like a wheel of fortune wheel, mm-hmm. yeah. and he's spinning it, giving prizes away as incentive to. I just thought, man. What what pandemic have you ever had that you had to incentivize people to get a shot? It was an actual pandemic by bribing them with toys and prizes. Krispy Kreme donuts. I mean, like, okay, well, one of the Beer. issues here is, is obesity and how that impacts your <laughs> health right. with COVID. Yeah. But let's in, incentivize. In, what's the word? Incentivize. Now you got me stuck. I don't. Incentivize. Thank there you. you. Yeah. That word with with wealth and unhealth. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like I can't even believe like common sense is out the window. Right. In so yeah. many areas, I, it's I, I, I literally I'm at a loss for words because it dumbfounds me that mm-hmm. people are buying into this. Right. Um, so I don't know the market because I think there's so many theories <laughs> out there on that stuff. I just well, okay. I, I, don't, I don't like. I think people need to get a um, civics 101 mm-hmm. refresher course in our nation today and be reminded of their constitutional rights and reminded of what our nation was founded upon and our values. Because when it's starting to be dictated like this, it is it's scary ground. And and that's that's I don't I'm not anti anti immunization or anti-shots but i i do not like i don't like it when we're forced and demanded that Mm -hmm. we have to do this or we are restricted in what we can do i have a problem with that i think every american should have a problem with that um all right let me throw a scenario at you tell me if this resonates at all (laughs) um for several years i've tried to figure out how 
how you could get the global population to all agree to take something. Yeah. Uh, well, you got to find something that they can't see that will kill someone and they don't even know it. That's how you scare people to death. Right. You freak them out with something that's unknown. I mean, Bigfoot doesn't work. UFOs don't really work because they're fun to look at. But this thing that will kill you and you will kill grandma and you don't even know right. it, um, that's terrifying. Well, if we have some way to guarantee that you are safe to go out in public, how do we do that? Well, at this point, according to the, the powers that be, um, the ones we're supposed to listen to, the only answer, the only answer is this emergency use authorized uh, medical treatment. That's the only answer. There's nothing else that could possibly work. That's it. And so at this point, just you know, get it and then you can take your mask off. It'll be great. You can have fun now. Freedom is for you if you get this jab. Well, right. how do we stop or how do we verify that? Like I, I was in Costco the other day. Costco has released their, their thing, at least in our state, because we don't have a state mandate. So they have pulled back. If you are vaccinated, you don't have to. But we're not checking is what they say. So, all right. They just keep your word for it. Is that how they do it? Yeah. You do, yeah. There, there's no there's no checking. And my thought is I we've had this thing back a few months back. I'm as protected as anyone, probably more. So I'm fine. Right. So, yeah, I'm absolutely protected from this thing. Plus, I'm healthy and I eat certain vitamins and I do things that are, have been proven in other countries to really help. Um, now, if I say that on YouTube... I'll get banned in a second. And mm-hmm. I did. Got removed from YouTube because of that. Um, anyway, how do we make it safe for people to go to the marketplace? You have to have the jab, whatever it is. So how do you do that? So for me, something that could be a mark of sorts is proof of that. Not the thing itself, but proof of it. And the first step is um, you've got your piece of paper that says, I have, you know, lot number 7842 administered this date. I carry that with me. What if I forget that? I'll mm-hmm. put it on my phone. So my phone has it, and now I'm safe. Well, what if you forget your phone, your battery dies? You know, you go on the airplane, and you're using your phone. You're panicked because you're at 1%, and you've got to scan it to get on the plane. Um, well, we've got the best solution for you. Mm-hmm. We'll just put it in your hand. Mm-hmm. And it's fine. To me, that's plausible. Does, does that seem plausible? plausible. Oh, I've thought that scenario through from the very beginning of this whole thing. When we, when we were, when this whole thing started, the the Bible says in in the last days, many will fall away. Mm-hmm. And we, we've always been like, how is that going to happen? Like, that seems so crazy that the church and so many believers could so radically overnight, like abandon their faith. Mm-hmm. And then COVID <laughs> happened and we went, oh my yeah. word, this is how mm-hmm. fear the fear demic, like going crazy, all the deceit, all the lies. And so he may not be as conspiracy as me, but Craig, I'm with you. I, <laughs> I absolutely think that there is obviously an agenda. The reason why our governor won't lift the emergency mandate mm-hmm. is because of part of this agenda to get everyone jabbed and everyone on the same page and it to be as mandated as possible to be able to show proof because the reality is i'm a graphic designer i can make a good card that's a crime now 
Yes, but what eighteen-year-old <laughs> in the checkout yeah. is going to actually oh, yeah. verify? Mm-hmm. That, right? Well, and and first off, if, if we want someone that is un unmedically trained to be doing medical examinations in a store to make sure I'm right. safe, that's outrageous. So yeah. if they have a, a gun scanner to check your brain to see if your temperature's right, I mean, first off, are you qualified to use that? Is it calibrated properly? If we're really talking about safety. It better be. And you better have a medical license because it's a crime to practice medicine without one. <laughs> so where are we going? So, yeah, I, it, yeah it's, it's interesting to see how this plays out as businesses are saying, if you've had the, because we've had that here too, if mm-hmm. you've had the shot, then you don't have to wear a mask. And I'm just wondering, okay, how, where is this going to go? Or is it going to just kind of fade out or will it be enforced where you have to verify and validate somehow? Yeah. That's going to be scary. Well, and, and then where, where do we go from there? Like, if that happens, what is yeah. the response from the the church community, the 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 Christian world, that to to that? Like, do we say, "Yep, lock me up, whatever you got to do"? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I think that this whole thing has been a very revealing thing mm-hmm. for the church at large. Um. Unfortunately, unfortunately, and I think it's not over. I think there's going to be a continual uh, revealing of what we will bow to and what we will not. And I think some of the, I'm hoping that there will be more churches that will, that maybe have opened lately, um, (laughs) will discover and decide that we can never go back to that again. and that they won't allow the government to mandate their their religious rights yeah. and their freedoms. Um, I, I I would like to be hopeful that that's going to be the case. I, I'm I'd like to be hopeful, <laughs> but um, unfortunately, I think we saw a lot of a lot of a lot of people, men and women, mighty men and women of God, who I was like ready to be like, oh, let's, let's stand up. Let's be the Daniels. Let's be the Shadrachs, Meshach and Abednego's. Let's mm-hmm. be the Esther's in this time. We were born for this. This yeah. is our time as a church to stand up in the face of this tyranny and to do what is righteous and what is holy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is what we were born and made for, and yeah. I've seen so many not. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can be sure of this: Grace Church will not. We will go to jail if we must. Um, we will be martyrs if we must. I don't really want to be, but if that's what it ends up to being, we will yeah. because. At the end of the day, I'm going to be answering to God of what I did and how we led and who we bowed to. And did we bow to man and fear of man and to the to the almighty dollar and to the almighty tither? Or did we bow to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the word of God that will stand the test of time throughout every generation? Uh, Matthew and I and Grace Church, we will not be bowing to me. I will say this, after over a year of navigating through this season as a pastor, it's our church is stronger and healthier in every single way than it ever has been before. Hmm. And I wouldn't go back to the church we had. I love I loved the way it was before, but I wouldn't go back. 
It's financially, um, commitment, people, leaders. We've seen tremendous health through this season. I don't, I can't speak for every church that has gone through COVID having that same testimony. I know a lot of guys struggled through it and a lot of that is context of where they're at and what, yeah. you know, all those variables. But I just thank God that through this, we've seen growth and health and we've seen a lot of people that have come that we, we've, we've got a more committed church now than ever before. Yeah. That's people true. that will church the mountain with us. Yeah. So it's, it's been a fun season. It's been exhausting, but someone asked me, what was it like to pastor through COVID? And I said, it's been, it's been a blast. <laughs> we haven't got bored. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just one challenge yeah. after another. That's like, mm-hmm. this is what we were meant to do. So it's been, a, it's been fun and hard. <laughs> yeah. So a few years ago, you guys, uh, which you, as long as I've known you, uh, you were married before I met you, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think you were. Yeah. Um, been married since 2000. Okay. I met you guys. So, in, yeah. Before, uh, because just we, right around yeah. that time. Yeah. Yeah. I think was it 02 when I first met your dad. Anyway, he was a guest on the show back a few months back. Um, he, uh, or because you guys value marriage so much. Yeah. Um, you started a podcast called Marriage on the Go. Now, was Parenting on the Go the first one? Because you have two. Yeah, Parenting Go, we actually started. And then a number of months after that, we started Marriage on the Go. So Parenting on the Go is your initial podcast. And you're in, what is this, second, third year of that? Fourth uh, year? Fourth year for that, third year for marriage. Okay. Although it's been on a major hiatus on both of those <laughs> through the pandemic. Because we've had to like push pause on that and focus mm-hmm. on the church. Okay. But we are going to be picking it up again. Wonderful. So they're not going anywhere. No. All right. Um, I, I it's always fun to go in there and, and hear you guys. I I've kind of you know I've been paying attention to you throughout the last couple of years over that. So that's cool. Um, and Sabrina, you are a fan of women, clearly, and empowering yeah. women to fulfill their destiny mm-hmm. and to be who they were created to be. Yeah. And you started a blog that is now much larger than you anticipated, perhaps? Or or, or was know. that the I goal, actually? Are you a I dreamer? Be, I'm a big dreamer. Yeah. I, I'm called to be a world changer. I, I'm all about that. So, I mean, I didn't start it with the idea of, like, I want thousands and thousands upon it. Mm-hmm. If I just reach one, it's worth it. However, I fully expected to reach more than one. So mommentor.org is that. Uh, mm-hmm. What is the main focus of that right now? The main focus is no mom left behind, meaning every single mom, mm-hmm. every mom, homeschool mom, every working mom, um, every mom who doesn't have a mom mm. to go to and to talk to, um, the lonely mom, the tired mom the the bottle feeding mom the breastfeeding mom the mom of adopted kids foster kids autistic kids adhd kids the mom who has lost a child none of us should have to go through it alone um and so many do when i'm talking to moms on the regular one of the biggest things that i continue to hear is how lonely they are Mm. and um, how they don't feel like they have anyone that they can reach out to. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you can have a girlfriend and they can like, you know, kind of rub elbows with you, but there is a need for moms to have mentors, women who've been through it, women who've 
weathered some storms, who have gone through some things and can pass on some tips, some wisdom, some biblical truth that is going to help them weather their storms. Um, and so that's where mom mentor was birthed, just saying, I know what it's like to sometimes feel like I was all alone. I don't want any mom to feel that way. I want them to feel like even if it's across the screen, even if it's through an article, even if it's through a Zoom small group or through a book, they are feeling seen, heard, understood, and have some practical biblical tools on how to walk this amazing call mm-hmm. out of motherhood that's also incredibly hard. So that's where it came from. You are co-author, can we say? Yeah. Of Mom Mentor, What Other Moms Never Told Me. Yeah. Um, that's out now. It's been out for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. On uh, Amazon. Almost a year now, looks like. Yeah. July 2020. Um, quick synopsis on that. What is that? Just real, real advice from moms? Yeah. We took 12 of our mom mentors and we all said, um, what is one thing that you wish someone would have told you? Mm-hmm. This isn't, this isn't the practical, like, how do you um, get your baby to sleep? This isn't like, how do you get your child to be potty trained? Because we can Google all of that. This is like the heart issues. So my chapter is the first chapter and it's all about how lonely I felt and how do I start practically making friends Mm. and putting myself out there, even when I've been hurt and wounded, betrayed and feel like my heart, I don't have anything left to give. How do I cultivate new friendships in my forties, in my thirties, in my twenties, in my fifties? Um, so every mom takes a different angle, which I love that there's so many voices that speak into this because what one chapter is going to speak to one person, another chapter is going to speak to another place that another mom reading it is at. So it goes from, we have moms from all over from toddlers up to grandmas who have adult kids, um, and all in between. That's cool. Um, your social media, where, where's the main presence you are? Are you on Instagram primarily? Oh yeah, for sure. What's that? Uh... Don't even bother going to Matthews because he's, he just yeah, goes Tell me about it. Stuff. So yeah. some months back, <clears throat> I think I sent a message to Matthews oh, you about did? a podcast interview and never heard back. So... <laughs> Oh, well, there you uh, go. Yeah, you won't. He's I'm horrible with social media. Right. I that's neglected all right. terribly. It's okay. Um, I live vicariously through Sabrina's influence. <laughs> well, the amount of stories she puts up currently, uh, you could easily do that. So <laughs> That's my contribution. Nice. So uh, I don't want to take you too much longer. I do have more things I want to talk about. Do you have a little bit more time or you guys need to roll? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Um, social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, l- over the last some months, Sabrina, you sp- well, clearly we just learned you have kind of embraced that as an outlet um, to communicate. Why? It is a platform that God has given me. It's the biggest microphone that I have to use. And it's my space, so I can do what I want with it. My space is old, okay? You just dated yourself. Although I did have my space. Oh, yeah. It is my platform. Um, I know I'm not for everyone, and I'm okay with that. I'm actually really secure that not everyone's going to love what I'm sharing, love what I'm doing. But I do strongly feel that if a few men and women will stand and speak what 
a lot of people are feeling, but don't have the courage to say and share, mm -hmm. it will cause courage in them to stand. There's always got to be someone who goes first. There's always got to be someone who like breaks through so that others can break through behind them. And I've always had that pioneer spirit upon me my whole life. And um, right now, one of the main ways that I can do that effectively is through the platform of social media. That might change in the future, but for right now, that's where it's at. And so that's what I utilize. You've always been kind of bold, as long as I've known you. Kind of. But yeah, the, uh, <laughs> to, to put it mildly, um, you know, before the show, we kind of talked about that. You're not the, you know, you're kind of a, go get them. Um, yes. That wasn't always the case. Especially in the last few years, you you struggled mentally a little bit and health wise. Yeah, talk us through some of that. How how did you get to where you're at today? Are you talking about mental health? Uh, yeah, and then I mean, because that that it's kind of tied together with the physical health and where you're at today. Like you are very vocally like jazzed up and ready to go to help people get healthy, and that that is not just yeah. a eat right. That's a live right model. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think just practically I've, since I started having babies almost 19 years ago, um, oh, I have struggled with my weight mm -hmm. and, um, honestly in today's culture, there's also this whole pendulum swing with the body positivity movement that just breaks my heart because it again is promoting, okay, I get the heart the heart of loving who you are, that you're worthy of being loved no matter who you are and what you look like. Absolutely. However, you're lying to yourself if you don't think that that it doesn't impact your health, your future, your mission. Um, and so I've struggled with it for, gosh, the last 19 years, I've struggled with my weight and obesity runs in my family. This isn't something that um, I look at lightly. I've always struggled with this. And in the last few years, about a couple of years, I got to the, the heaviest I've ever been more than I did with any of my babies. And it, this is where it, it took a turn for me. Um, I started saying no. I started saying no to God opportunities. I start, started saying no to things um, that I knew I've been born for and called for and my purpose and my destiny and who God has wired me to be, the voice that I have, the, the, the message that I have, because I was ashamed. I was so ashamed of what I looked like, how I felt, um, the control that my cravings had over me. Uh, it was an addiction. It is an addiction. <laughs> this is something I'm still battling. And um, last I checked, I shouldn't be bowing my knee to anything except God. And mm -hmm. yet I would hear in the middle of the night, and it may sound so silly to some people, but for me, it was so real in the middle of the night, I would, my kids love to bake and they bake cupcakes. And at two in the morning, I would be like, I just want a cupcake. I just need the cupcake. And, and I would stay awake until I would finally give in to that craving and then feel so gross afterwards, or Matthew would walk out of the room and I would stuff three cookies into my mouth um, and, and, and try to get all of the evidence out. And then when, we're, when kids are like, Hey, who ate all the cookies? I'd be like, we have a family of six, you know, it all goes, but secretly I'm like shame eating yeah. 
saying no to God opportunities, totally feeling controlled by my addictions and knowing here I am like every Sunday getting up and sharing encouragements and, and challenges of faith to my church about freedom and being set free and knowing internally, I'm not, mm-hmm. I am not free. And unfortunately I'm not free in an area where the American church, especially totally looks the other way. Oh, it's your health. Oh, you're eating another in and out like cheeseburger. Oh, you're having another, I mean, it's like, Oh, no big deal. Like we all just kind of like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about that because it also is really emotional and touchy for me. And I get it. Matthew had a hard time ever challenging me and talking to me about this issue of my health, not my weight, but my health, Mm -hmm. because it's so sensitive. And so um, it affected my mental health. It affected my physical health. It affected my ability to do things, show up for things and be who I was called to be because in, in the middle of the night during the day, I had this back door for the accuser of the brethren. His name is the devil. He would come in and just speak shame and bring more insecurity to me and have total access to me to walk in and out and control me anytime he wanted. And I found freedom in that. I wouldn't say I'm totally free. It's still hard for me. It's going to be, this is a going to be a lifelong journey like most addicts are. The hmm. mind just happens to be refined sugar and carbohydrates and flour. <laughs> um, that's my drug of choice. Um, and so this is going to be a lifelong battle for me that I continually have to go after those giants in my land. Mm-hmm. But I have found so much freedom. And when you find freedom, okay, when I find freedom, I can't help but share it with other people. Um, and although it may be on the issue of our physical health, Mm-hmm. I, I, I was challenged to, with one of my friends. She's like, Sabrina, why won't you coach? And I'm like, because it's weird. I don't, I'm not good at that. And I, and I still struggle. And she's like, you talk to people about getting free in every other area of their life mentally. Zing. How'd that feel? <laughs> with kids, with marriage. Yeah. She's like, why wouldn't you talk about it with your health, physical health as well? I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. You got me. I, I don't know. I believed a lie. And so I've just taken myself out of that box and decided I'm going to actually talk about freedom for spirit, mind, and body, mm-hmm. because that's what God wants. Yeah. So the, I'm actually glad you brought up the body, the body positivity movement, because um, I've, I, I don't feel like that I'm qualified at all to even talk, create the conversation around that. Um, but I think you are. And so what does that do? Because what it seems like it does, and there, a friend of mine uh, on Facebook or on the Instagram shared something uh, a little while back that I screenshotted because it, it caused me to start thinking, you know, where are we at as society to, uh, you know, because for a long time and maybe still now, there's a mindset that um, if you are not, chisel ab fit then you are dying and you're horrible and so that's the wrong approach clearly but the other side is uh turning now from what i can tell um if you are outrageously overweight and really unhealthy i mean there's no doubt that that's unhealthy yeah that's now okay and acceptable 
um this uh this person posted on her page that said follow more fat people on social media seeing diverse bodies is important and so what i'm wondering it what do we do how what do we teach our kids when it comes to that because obviously you don't want to create these nut jobs that do nothing but worry about oh i can't see that one muscle so i got to keep working i'm not good enough because I, i'm not there but on the other side like i think the pendulum can go both ways and be equally detrimental yeah i agree i think you have i think you have the extreme of what critical theory teaches and one of the best books i read this last year is called cynical theory and they address the different i guess we call them tenets of critical theory from critical race theory and mm -hmm. part of that is the the whole fat shaming thing and to a point where doctors are now at some point going to be unable to tell their overweight patients that they're unhealthy i mean you can have an overweight patient that's dying from obesity but you right. can't go there right. it's just the craziness of that extreme to the extreme that you mentioned of being so health conscious that people are finding their security in their looks mm -hmm. and their value an and and so i think as parents okay where where is balance first of all how do you how do you instill value within your child intrinsic value for who they are who god made them to be they know who they are they know whose they are that is that is not contingent one moment or one ounce upon their physical features or structure and at the other i think another aspect is the health of teaching uh your children health and i think that's, that falls into the category of stewardship hmm. And I think I think pastors need to be talking about physical health. It's always weird when I do a message on <laughs> physical health to our church because people yeah. almost want to tune out like, oh, it's not spiritual enough. Mm. Well, it, it's pretty spiritual because you you're not going to live long and do much for the kingdom of God if you keep eating that way and treating your the Bible says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's pretty spiritual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we we approach it from the angle. OK, how do we one not get our child's identity wrapped up in their physical attributes, but at the same time, the point of where do we help them and how do we help them to where they care about stewarding the body that God gave them? So, so is a lot of it, out. yeah, is a lot of it then teaching uh, discipline more than anything, I like understanding so. that this is a disciplined product. Um, one of the things that same lady said in a different post was, um, because she's out very overweight people assume that and this is her quote people assume that i'm a lazy slob when in reality i work 50 plus hours a week and i get stuff done she's a very very um accomplished businesswoman where's the breakdown i guess and and it is the this idea you know you listen to lizzo and some of these other artists now that are like happily celebrating the fact and, and what it appears to me from the outside celebrating the fact that being very large is 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 good and and not just you know yes that's where you're at and you are you are valuable you are a valuable human there's no question about that but right. it's the idea that because i'm huge i'm more valuable it's almost a celebration of that one thing I mean, yeah, that, that feels like we're celebrating, a, almost like celebrating a skin color over another skin color. I mean, it's, it kind of feels that way. 
it feels that way because it is that way. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do agree. Like I can't look at a person to an extent that has is morbidly obese mm-hmm. and know what their story is. I think it's always a point of conversation and finding out how did you get to where you're at? And, and how do you have that conversation? Time, <laughs> how do you well, start I have that them one? all the time? <laughs> Um, but I, they, well, they talk it's solicited though, right? It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other conversation is I can't look at a skinny person and mm-hmm. automatically assume it's that true. they're healthy. Mm-hmm. Skinny doesn't yeah. equal healthy. Yeah. We know that. I see. I mean, it, people work out to eat like crap. And the, the bottom line is we need to talk about health. I have no desire as a 45, almost 46 year old woman to have abs. Mm-hmm. Maybe someday I will. That's not my goal. I don't need to have all this refinement. What I do need is to steward my body well with nutrition, which by the way, goes back to all of this stuff with our immune system, Mm -hmm. strengthening and letting the body that God has given us actually do its work. And if we take care of our body, well, our body will most often, not all the time, because of course things happen, but most often it will show up for us and fight for us. Our immune system will fight for us in ways that, Medicine won't in ways that our obesity won't because it lowers our immune system. So it's, we got to have the conversation about health, not about weight. Although you can be totally unhealthy as a very skinny person and totally unhealthy as a heavy person. I do think though, that you're just the visceral fat that is around your organs. I mean, that, that takes a toll. And if you're blind to that, I, I can't help you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're just in denial. And it, sadly, um, your body will pay the price for it. Is, and so will your mission. Yeah. Is mental health overlooked in the church? 100%. Yeah, big time. What do big we do time. about I think, it? I think in the last few years, I think we've seen it begin to switch gears a little bit i think with rick warren's son Mm -hmm. and with rick warren's influence that he has um they've really spearheaded i think a movement of of helping people become aware and get help and it's not such a taboo subject so i think but the history of the church absolutely it's been um unaddressed and an issue that has not been handled well i think i think People are seeing the need, though, to find ways to get people practical help. Absolutely. Because it's really been, I mean, I I remember, you know, growing up in the church, and it was really looked down upon if you ever learned of anyone that might be seeing a psychiatrist or, you know, maybe on some antidepressants like that. It's almost like that was a, you know, you, you weren't, it's like you weren't trusting God properly. Or didn't have faith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we are, we are emotional beings. We have, we are spiritual beings. We're, we're made in, in the image of God, three parts. We have a body, we have physical attributes. We have a spirit. So spiritual attributes, but we also have a soul, which is your mind, your willing emotions. And I think for somebody to be completely healthy, you have to have a strong body. You have to have a strong spirit and you need to have a strong soul, which is your mind, the way you think, your emotions, your heart. And I, I don't think we've done a great job at helping that part of the trifecta. One of my hunting partners is an old, an old uh, retired psychiatrist. And he was in practice for, well, his whole career. 
and he talks. He's been a Christian all his life, I think. Um, and he, he talks about way back, it was so awesome to be able to help, you know, and he would help preachers, you know, work, work through some of the mental blocks that, that are, are actually a physical issue that they can work on with the proper tweaking of some of the, the uh, meds they could do. And he said it was so cool to be able to see them be able to open up and be free from that and then really do what they were called to do. But that is not a mindset that I have ever heard in, in, in no. the church, you know, hierarchy at all. It's like it's not, shh, 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 can't talk about that. Oh, so you have, what you have is you have churches full of people and churches with pastors that yeah. keep that secret. Mm-hmm. And because they, they feel shame about it. And so someone's struggling with depression, they feel like they can't let that out and be open about what they're struggling with because it, 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 it does carry some shame with it, unfortunately. And instead of getting help, people just stuff it down and it doesn't fix it. So we're, we're big fans of counseling and getting help. And if it's therapy, I encourage that big time so people can process through their pain, process through their emotions, process through what's going on. Sabrina struggled with depression for a number of years and mm-hmm. just, I mean, we tried, we tried everything. Went to the doctor. They said nothing was wrong, and hmm. and it, it was a frustrating point of why why I, I've never struggled with depression, so it's hard for me to identify with it. I'm pretty happy go lucky guy, and so I'm like, just get over it. Well, that didn't work. <laughs> and you know, I think there is a need for the God factor to help us and bring yep. deliverance. But um, I think the church would do well in this season to begin to focus on this area of mental health and how to practically help people as we see suicide rates skyrocket and, and depression and all these areas that I think, I think God wants to help people in, you know, thank God for doctors and all these other fields of medicine, Mm -hmm. but God cares about that too and has some solutions. You guys have three girls. We do. And then biological girls. And then later in life, you added a boy. We sure did. We adopted our son. What was that like? And how did you guys get there? We had no plans to have any more kids. We were good. Um, In fact, uh, after our second child, for those of you, well, most of you won't even know this, but after our second child, she was like super colicky. like screamed until she was three years old. Um, Honestly, it was actually the best thing that could have happened to us because it forced us to really learn how to actually parent God's way, (laughs) changed everything and became our platform on helping Mm. other parents. Um, But after Maddie, who's who's now just phenomenal, she's 17, um, I was like, we're not having any more kids unless God speaks to me. And I don't plan on him doing that. And (laughs) he did. And so then we had Lily. And then Matthew was like, cool but we're not having any more kids now unless God speaks to me. And I'm like, all right. So um, fast forward uh, a number of years, adoption was really never on our radar. We thought it was beautiful for for you to do. Like it's great for other people to do. We're big fans supporting of it, but we didn't at all Mm -hmm. um, think it was a part of our process and a part of what God would call us to. And while we were on a little family vacation, God spoke and whispered to Matthew um, that we needed to adopt from our mission field. And he sat on that for a couple of days and then came to me and said, I, I feel like this is what God's telling us to do. And I said, okay, we're really good at saying yes to God. 
because uh, it always works out. <laughs> and so we didn't know anything, Craig. We like literally were on the 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 internet googling how do you adopt a kid? <laughs> do <you laughs> wow. Legitimately, I wish I was lying about yeah. that. It was we were googling like how do you adopt a kid in San Diego? Mm. Um, and to make a long story short, God opened a lot of doors. He closed a lot of doors but it was rapid. Um, we were told that it would take, because we have biological children in the mm -hmm. house already, we were told that it's going to take the minimum of six months, but probably more like a year. To even years, find one? To have, yeah. To, to, like to find to, like, a kid? Be mad, okay. Be mad with someone. Um, from the moment that God spoke to us, which was in August of 2017, um, Sean, our son, who was four at the time, moved in November, uh, November 1st, 2017. So a couple months. It was like so quick. Um, and we needed a lot of miracles. Uh, God led us through the private adoption sector, which is not cheap. Mm -hmm. um, that was not our choice. It was just the door that God continued to say, go down this way. And we needed $20,000. Wow do this we had zero because again we were not planning on adoption we also live in southern california and everything's really <laughs> expensive so our savings was not that big mm -hmm. at that time and so um we needed a miracle because we needed a, a, a good hefty probably 75 percent of that we needed within two weeks to do that and within two weeks we'd raised eighteen thousand wow. dollars so um little did we know we were always like we want the god factor in this story mm -hmm. Um, because we wanted to be able to tell our son, look at what God did for you. Mm. Look at the mountains he moved for you. Um, he loves you so much. Little did we know that we would also need to go back to those moments because it's not always easy and it is challenging. It is a journey. It is an adventure and there's highs and lows in that. And there were times for me that I needed to go back and say, God, you did this. <laughs> you were plain in this. You made yeah. this very plain. Yeah. And um, I I needed that reassurance and that obvious thumbprint of God all throughout it because it's it's not for the weak. Parenting isn't for the weak. Adoption reveals a whole nother <laughs> level of selfishness in you that you didn't even know is there. Mm -hmm. What did the girls think? What was their reaction when you came to them and said? Originally, I, originally they were excited. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was hardest for our youngest daughter. She was losing the the, the oh, baby yep. status. Yeah. So we had to process through that. But overall, it's been a good experience. It's been challenging. I think it's it not, nothing specific to adoption. I think just having a boy in the midst of girls it, as normal <laughs> siblings can understand sibling challenges. That would be the typical territory. But I think they see how wonderful it is. And, and really uh, it, it, for us, it's revealed a, a new level of how God loves people. I mean, mm -hmm. he's really into adoption. I mean, mm -hmm. he says that we are adopted when yeah. we're in his family. And so it, it, I think it just reveals for us another depth of God's love that's unconditional. And I heard Frank Mazio from city, uh, he used to pastor city Bible church in Portland. He said this statement, a long time ago. I, I'm not saying this to make it sound like we're awesome, but it impacted me because he said, he said, because he adopted, he said, adopting a child is one of the most impactful things you can do for another human being outside of sharing Jesus with them to salvation. Wow. So it's like one of the most practical, tangible ways 
to transform somebody's life in the biggest way. And we're mm-hmm. seeing yeah. that's really true. It's pretty amazing to have the opportunity to change someone's life like that. So do we need to rethink in America what that looks like, especially dollar wise? Because oh gosh, that's such yeah. a barrier to entry for most people. Oh, it's ridiculous. Again, it's a it's a, it's a broken, system. broken system where we've got in California so many just in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember the numbers. I'd have yeah. to look at them. But last time I looked at them, it was just tens and tens and tens of thousands of children in the foster care system that are just waiting for a home. If every church, just every church in America, mm-hmm began to own this and adopted a fam- a child, we would see, I think every church, if they just said, you know what, we're going to take care of this, we could eradicate the, the need for wow. foster care and adoption today. Um, the problem is we're not doing that. So part of that's because people aren't taking ownership of it. I think there's another aspect. It's just so stinking expensive when it comes to adoption. Not every aspect is expensive. There are other avenues that are totally free. Well, foster care well, is but, wonderful. But, but that becomes... Yeah, but but that becomes really onerous, doesn't it? Like the process you have to go through to make that happen. Oh, yeah. yeah. We have friends that have done mm-hmm. I'm all for foster care. It, we just we didn't go that route, but it can it's it's a huge need. And I mm-hmm. think the church needs to step in there. When it comes to private adoption because I we're we're pretty pro-life. I'm like, let's save babies. I think the church has been great at championing pro-life. I don't think we've been great at helping with the practical implementation of helping those mothers that do choose life whether that's helping Mm. the single moms or because we're like yeah we'll go adopt well how about you be a family if you're really pro-life i think the church is really pro-life then we're going to be really pro uh, pro abortion pro (laughs) pro adoption yeah and and uh so i think i think it'd be wonderful for and we've been dreaming and strategizing how do we do this Mm -hmm. what would it be like for an organization a nonprofit organization that's christian faith-based that could come in and and pro bono or at least in an affordable way make it possible for younger couples that that we've got people that would love to adopt but they don't have 25 grand sitting yeah. around to do that and it's just it's so challenging there's so many i think roadblocks that make it way too difficult and honestly a lot of the money that we spent it 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 was unnecessary spending that was on the state end of things that oh, just yeah. was them taking their cut the government took five grand of that to come to our house really? and ask our kids after sean had already been in our home because pri- private adoption um they do the kind of home what's it called assessment yeah, yeah. The, yep. they kind of yeah. do all that after the child is in your home. He's been with us for a long time at this point, and they finally come in, and we're like, okay, they're going to look at like all the safety features. Mm-hmm. They're going to be going through the house. Like, no, they just sat down and they're like, with my kids, like, so what do you want to be when you grow up? It was like 20, 30 really? minutes. They got like five grand for that. And and so <laughs> at least for California, that was where a lot of the hangups were and the time delays yeah. and the expenses. So it was all on the state side. Somebody needs to figure that out. And we're, we're, I think, I think the church could really own that process mm-hmm. and make a way. What would it be like if there were, there were funds available from other people? Cause you might have some older couples that they're not going to be taking people in their home, but they want to give towards yep. a fund that would filter couples and select quality qualified young couples that could draw from those scholarships towards adoption. I think that would be. I think that would really be a blessing and actually help a lot to get 
adoption uh, moving in momentum. So yeah. is some of it marketing, you think, you know, there's just not enough awareness of the real need. You know, you have, a, there are a lot of families, uh, sorry, a lot of couples that can't or have trouble conceiving. Yeah. Um, I have four children. That wasn't the issue, apparently. Myrtle, um, Myrtle there. <laughs> um, but we have friends that have. Tons. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and so I'm interested in your thought on, especially from the, the pastoral position, and you guys are, you, you had biological children and you adopted. So you kind of have feet in all of this. Um, so I, I think you have some standing in this to make a, an educated um, comment. Is fertility or infertility treatment, should it be, not used as much in the Christian world because there are so many children that already are there that, mm. you know, because I mean, if we're talking dollars, we're probably in the same ballpark. You know, if, if you go for full on infertility treatments that take years, sometimes that's not cheap venture. So what are your thoughts on, on maybe encouraging adoption more? Well, I'll try not to give you a political answer because I know you hate those. Um, <laughs> Honesty here. <laughs> I don't know if I would draw a line in the sand on yeah. that one. I do think there's some personal conviction there people mm -hmm. have to land on and hear from the Lord. I just know, I know a lot of people that can't get pregnant and they have a strong desire to be a parent and God's promised that. And I believe God mm -hmm. can open up the womb. I, I'm not anti uh, getting help with that. We know some couples that have had some tremendous success with that. I also know stories of couples that couldn't get pregnant and just prayed and prayed and prayed and were at a point of discouragement. And, but because of that, where they were, it led them to a process of going through adoption and looking back, they see that God actually did answer their prayers. Mm. God gave them the child, the children that they prayed for just in a different way. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if I would say it needs to be one or the other, um, but I do think it, it needs to be championed more, the subject of adoption, foster care, helping families and children. I think God has a special place in his heart for the, the widow and for the orphan. Yeah. And um, so I think God's people need to have a special heart for the orphans and for the widow. And so I think as pastors and churches, it would it would be very beneficial to begin to speak about it more often. It doesn't need to be spoken about every week, but I think it needs to be the awareness factor. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the marketing of it is not strong. Yeah. Not in the church. Isn't it the church's responsibility? I mean, if, if we're going to go back to the Bible to, to care I mean, for the widows and orphans. What religion is, it <laughs> right. has everything to do yeah. with that. So, so at, yeah, at some but, point in American society, for sure, we ceded that responsibility to a willing government. And maybe yeah, that, maybe think, that's I the issue we do that with a lot of things. I think we do yeah. that with the poor, with the, with everything. We, we let's make that our government governments become our God. Mm -hmm. And we, we want government to take care of all the issues in our prop in our nation. We're, I, I think we're figuring out that's not working very well. Mm -hmm. And it's <laughs> certainly not working with the, the crisis of fatherless and motherless children mm -hmm. that, desperately need some homes. And so I, I think, I think the church could do it without guilt tripping people and, and every 
family can be involved somehow, some way, every person. You may not be able to take a child into your home, but there, there are different local organizations that the church could partner with, whether we have one in our, in our uh, community called Olive Tree, where it's not foster, it's not adoption, but there are times where there are families in crisis and parents are maybe incarcerated or parents mm-hmm. are getting treatment and they just don't have their children. So instead of getting their children sucked into the, the foster system, which can be a traumatic experience, what would it be like if uh, families stepped in and helped providing yeah. diapers or child care or so there's, there's a number of ways the church can get on board at a yeah. local level to be part of the solution. Hmm. That's good. Um, all right. Well, we'll have to come back at some point. We covered point. a lot of ground today. Um, absolutely. From some to adoption to math. <laughs> come on. Um, Sabrina, specifically, what encouragement would you have to uh, a mom that may be out there listening that is kind of in despair, you know, especially in the midst of a year of a total change of, uh, lifestyle change because of the school scenario, um, work, uh, everything. What would be something you could encourage them with? Get in community, Hmm. find your community. And this doesn't need to be like wine night with the gals. Like you need heart-to-heart community. You need to find a place that you can begin to develop good friendships that will then in turn um, become people that you can link shields with. We are not meant to do this life alone. And society and the enemy and feminist culture tells us that we are enough in and of ourselves. That's a bunch of baloney. We (laughs) need and are created for others and for community and we cannot thrive outside of it. So if she's discouraged, if she's disillusioned, if she's depressed, one of the best things she can do, although she will not feel like doing it, Mm. but do it anyways, is get dressed, get outside. I don't care if it's just yoga pants or sweats. You don't even have to brush your hair. Go to a church, a local church, Find some people to get into community with and start doing life with them. You need it. Your kids need it. You won't always feel like it, but do it anyways. Excellent. MomMentor.org is your website. Uh, Parenting on the Go and Marriage on the Go podcasts are all over the uh, podcast sphere across the interweb. Uh, Church Matthew, you preach every Sunday. GraceSD.tv. I'm glad you both were here. That was awesome. Thanks for having us, Craig. Let's, uh, Pleasure. Let's do this again. Thank you, Matthew and Sabrina, for taking some time with us, giving us your perspective on the world and your insights. Whymailblink.com is our website. If you have any questions or comments, whymailblink at gmail.com is the email address. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you in the next one.